Coming up, a conversation with Daryl Glenn, candidate for mayor of Colorado Springs. This is 6035 Media. Casting an informed vote is your right and your duty as a citizen. I'm Brian Grossman, executive editor of 6035. And I'm Shelley Roars, spokesperson for the League of Women Voters of the Pikes Peak region. We're teaming up to bring you conversations with candidates in the April 2023 Colorado Springs City election. So this interview is both an episode of the new 6035 Vote podcast. And the League's Making Democracy Work podcast. So let's get to it. So, yes, sir. Would, why don't you give our listeners um, a couple minutes about you and why you're running for office? Well, uh, I'm almost as close to being a native as possible. Uh, I was born into a military family. Um, my parents moved here when I was like two and a half. So from preschool to the Air Force Academy, this is home. And uh, I've been involved in Colorado Springs just from just having deep roots from just going to school here to starting my political career in eighth grade. When I, when I came home and I was like, Mom, I want to run for class president in ninth grade, and she kind of set me on my trajectory. So uh, politics has always been my love. Uh, was part of the military, spent 21 years in the military, retired as a lieutenant colonel, uh, came home and got involved in politics, was on city council, uh, spent two terms on city council and two terms on county commissioner, and I was a 2016 Republican nominee for U.S. Senate. And now uh, when I'm looking at the challenges that we have in this community and the love that I have, we have some difficult issues with regard to where we're going in the country and how our community is going to react to that. But every single time that I think about Colorado Springs, my wife and I talk about it all the time. We come in contact with people all the time to say, something brought me to Colorado Springs. Uh, I believe that Colorado Springs is special. When we start thinking about what we're going to do, the direction the country is going to go, they're going to be looking at Colorado Springs for leadership. And, and I believe I have the skill set to help out. Thank you, sir. All right, Daryl, let's get to some specific stuff. This is uh, water development and annexation. What's your stand on the 128% water rule uh, for extending water and other utilities to flagpole annex developments? Well, one of my biggest concerns, I spent six months walking this city and talking to people. And I think people in general, especially if you've been around here for a long time, feel that we're growing at a pace that's not sustainable. And one of the things that really comes to the forefront is water. Uh, so when I heard that they were going to even consider the, the water rule, I think it's something that we need to take a look at. Now, when I heard the 130% and then all of a sudden it came down to 128, I was like, okay, how do you get to 128 just like that? The bottom line is there needs to be a standard uh, that we can all have buy-in as far as as a community because we should absolutely uh, be tying some of our growth to making sure that we have the adequate water supply to respond to uh, fires, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to make sure that people that have actually invested in our water, so that we have water supply to be able to deal with what the challenges are in the future. So I absolutely support coming up with that standard. Now, whether it's 128 or something else, the bottom line is we absolutely need to do that, and I 100% support that. Okay. Thank you. Shelly? Also a question about water, kind of two-prong. Um, we waste a lot of water. 
approximately 78% is used for landscaping, whether that's the resort that's got a broken sprinkler system for a couple days that didn't fix it, or the city-owned golf course that looks nice and pretty, or my neighbor who plants Kentucky bluegrass in a non-native area. Um, So how can we do better with regards to... um, our waste. And then second question is, should the city consider extending water and or other utilities to subdivisions that are located outside the city that might never be annexed as part of being a regional water provider? Okay. Well, the first question, I was on city council and part of the utility board when we came up with the tiered rate structure. And I believe and support that. Uh, When I think about people will make a smart economic decision when you actually give them the tools to be able to look at their budget. I look at my water usage every single month. When you're looking at, since we're a four service utilities, and when you're looking at utility rates, if you're uh, if you're looking at that and making that decision, I trust people to be able to make that decision. But I also think we need to look at our codes and give people flexibility that if they don't want to have Kentucky bluegrass and things like that and want to zero escape, that we need to allow them to do that. Now, I respect covenant communities, so covenant communities can dictate that. But in general, as a city policy, we need to look at our code and give people flexibility for people that do not want to be able to have all that water usage to be able to do that. But I also support allowing the market to kind of dictate behavior. What was the second part of your question? Um, Should the city consider extending water right and or uh, I'm sorry, extending water and other utilities to subdivisions that are located outside the city limits um, that might never be annexed as part of being a regional water provider? Yeah, I'm concerned about providing water outside of our service area right now, because number one, I want to have a water rule in place. Our first responsibility should be for the citizens of Colorado Springs that paid into the system. That's our first responsibility to make sure we have an adequate water supply to be able to address the needs of our citizens here in Colorado Springs. But we need to have a measure to make sure that if we're going to extend beyond that, that there's some sort of equitable buy-in so that there has to be a benefit to the people that built the system and and investment. So if we're going to extend water uh, to providers outside of our service area, What's in it for the people that actually paid for the, for the water system in place? I think we need to look at that because we have a responsibility to make sure we are able to address our water needs, but we are st- it's still an extreme fire risk area. I was on city council, or I should say on a county commission for Waldo Canyon and Black Forest Fire. Fire mitigation and those issues are real, and we need to be prepared for that. Very good. Thank you, sir. Uh, here's a personal property rights question, private property rights question. Uh, where do you stand on accessory dwelling units being allowed in single-family residential areas? 100% support it. Uh, my philosophy is that when we start looking at addressing affordable housing and some of the housing challenges, the first thing that we should do as a city is take a look at our, clo- our, co- our code and make sure we're allowing people to maximize the use of their private property. Uh, when you're looking at families, when, you know, you start off with a family, your family grows, uh, kids grow, go away, and then sometimes your relatives get a little bit older and you want to move them back in. Mm-hmm. I think it's great for family to be able to come back into the same home and be able to care for one another. So we need to make sure that we have a code that addresses that. I think that's a good thing for the community. 
Do you support the commercial side of that as well? Uh, I do. The uh, Airbnb and I support it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I think that government's job we should have a small footprint when it comes to uh, interfering with private property and business rights. Okay, thank you, dear. Shelly. Um, yes, sir. Also, a housing qu- uh, question. Um, affordable housing, right? For those, whether it's a crisis or attainability, however you want to classify it, how would you plan? How do you plan? To address our city's affordable housing crisis, it's a multi-front, you know, approach. Number one, I kind of touched on it with regard to codes, because I think that we need to be able to look at the overall code that, uh, when you start looking at property, uh, and being able to use it from a residential standpoint, what are we doing as a city to hinder? of the use of private property rights, because I think that when we do that first and eliminate any of those barriers, then you're going to be able to free up people's ability to be able to bring people into their homes, rent out their homes, uh, rent out certain rooms in their homes. I think that's extremely important. The one thing I don't support is the government creating financial incentives uh, to address property rights. I think the government needs to get out of the way. I don't think the government should put its hand on the scale and try to influence the market. Uh, I think it's more important for us to be able to make sure that the properties are safe and secure and so that when people move in there that they can rely on that. But the government does more harm by trying to create things like rent control and artificially create growth to be able to encourage more development. Uh, I do not support let's just build and maybe the price will come down. Uh, It does not work that way. And I think it's important for us to make sure that when we're addressing that particular issue, government's role needs to be limited. And quite honestly, the one thing that people don't want to hear is that I know when I built my house, I know when when you move into a particular neighborhood, you look at whether or not you can afford that. There might be times when people cannot afford to live in a place by themselves. They might have to bring people in. They might have to rent out a room. But if you really want to be here, you have to financially look at a different model to be able to do that. Thank you, sir. All right. Uh, public safety. Uh, Colorado Springs Police Department is short anywhere from 50 to 100 officers, yeah. depending on the time of day that you, yeah. that you check, uh, from authorized strength. And this is while crime is on the rise, homicides on the rise, traffic crashes are on the rise. What would you do about uh, addressing public safety in the police department particularly? My number one priority as mayor is to make Colorado Springs the safest city in the nation, period. Uh, I'm going to realign the budget to make sure that we are able to achieve those goals and objectives. I have a uh, three-pronged proactive policing philosophy. Uh, Number one, when you're out there talking to people, we we do have a morale issue and a, a recruitment issue. I grew up here. I personally want to be involved in that recruitment process. I'm going to go into schools. I want to go into churches. I want to make sure people understand the value of law enforcement and even in fire and tell people and really challenge them that the best way to improve community relationships, especially within the police, is to be a part of the the process. So I want people to actually want to join the police force because I think that that's healthy. And I think when we do that, we're going to see our numbers go up. And if we need to go outside the community, I'm willing to do that. But the bottom line is the mayor has to take an active role in that. The second thing that is really causing a problem, and again, I know it's controversial to some people, but I absolutely oppose what has happened with taking away qualified immunity. 
That is something that I'm going to still continue to fight against. We have laws that are basically handcuffing the police officers from being able to do their jobs, and it's creating a problem. There are bad people in every single profession. Those bad people need to be held accountable, but that doesn't mean the entire system needs to be reformed. The last thing is we have people that are passing legislation that are, in, are hindering the process with creating safety. I don't care what party you're in. I will be your worst nightmare. I will campaign against you. I will do everything I can to get you out of office if you're interfering with the goal of making Colorado Springs the safest city in the nation. Just a quick follow-up. You said you would realign the budget. Can I ask to pay for what and where would it come from? Well, I'm going to look at everything. The number one priority I said is basically going to be around uh, uh, essentially public safety Mm -hmm. and our infrastructure and then business regulations where I want to be able to look at. But I am going to look at every single program and look at it through the lens of whether or not is this function better served in the private sector. Mm -hmm. If it can be privatized or it's better served in the private sector, I'm going to either cut or eliminate those programs or reassess, realign those dollars and reinvest those into our core services. Okay. Thanks. Shelly? Yes, sir. Um, Homelessness, right? Whether that's someone who is there by choice, someone who's mentally ill, PTSD veteran, someone who was kicked out of their home for their choices that didn't align with their parents or whatever. How do you or how would you plan to address our homeless issue? Uh, you know, this is an issue that is near and dear to my heart. My wife and I have been working, helping an individual uh, transition from homelessness for over two years. Uh, we met him, and he did not have a, a place to live. He literally was living in an, a, uh, an apartment for a, a short period of time, and we received a call that he was going to be out on the street. So we've been working with him, and he is now housed. Uh, So we actually have skin in the game, and we know what's going on with this particular issue. And and God bless my wife because she has a vision for how to solve this problem. But the number one thing that we need to do is realize it's a community issue, not just a law enforcement problem. We need to make sure that we're enforcing the rules that are on the books. That's the most important thing. But there is a mental health issue that's there. There's a lot of violence that's within the homeless community, too. So you do have a a place for police and fire as far as from a response standpoint. Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that's critical. That's something that I'm going to actually support to have like a rapid response teams within those units to be able to address those situations, whether it's from a safety standpoint or from a health, you know, emergency. We need to be able to do that. But we need to have within those departments almost like a point guard that we have actually have established relationships within our faith-based community, our, our nonprofits, whatever, that we already have a, a place where people, if they need a bed, if they need housing, if they need a financial assistance with a security deposit, if they need assistance to maybe just be able to, hey, I've got relatives in, in the state next over. Can I help with that? That person within the city needs to actually have those relationships already so that when you receive that individual, you're actually able to help them. Because what has happened, and I can tell you firsthand, when we were helping our, our, our friend, we received a piece of paper that said, here's some numbers that you can call to be able to help out. That's not enough. After the two years of what we had to find out and learn uh, throughout the system, we need to have a better model. And I encourage you to follow my wife who's running for city council. She has a vision on how to help build that without a lot of, without government. 
But from my standpoint, looking at it from the mayor's perspective, I want to make sure that we are able to do this in a way from a community perspective that actually solves the problem, but we absolutely keep the government at its lowest level with regard to involvement. Thank you, sir. Uh, Daryl, if you're elected mayor, do you foresee asking voters to approve new taxes or fees? And if so, for what purpose? Not at this time. So no purpose. <laughs> well, well, again, I think right now uh, we are when you're looking at the economic climate uh, for the nation, uh, we're thirty one trillion dollars in debt. Uh, the economy is slowing down, whether people want to believe that or not. We have major supp global supply chain issues. I believe that Colorado Springs need to become more lean and efficient. You don't do that by raising taxes. You do that by focusing in on what can we do here locally to be able to make sure that we have an adequate supply of the critical goods and services within our community. I want to encourage that sort of development so that we aren't so reliant on the federal and state government so that when times are tough, we actually have the ability to sustain this within our own community. That is my absolute purpose. That's why I'm going to be looking at programs that are nice to do but aren't the critical programs that should be done within the city and allowing the private sector to step in and take those over, reallocate those dollars into our core services. Do you have examples that you could share? Well, I'm going to look at every okay. single program. I want to be fair to all of them because, mm -hmm. again, I believe in, in information. But if it's not in line and if it doesn't point to that North Star with regard to being able to provide safety for the community, it's probably on the, on the uh, watch list. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thanks. Shelley? Yes, sir. I've got a kind of couple league questions. These are um, league affiliated. One, what are your thoughts on moving our spring municipal elections that you're currently in from mm -hmm. the spring to the fall, um, specifically to help increase voter turnout? You know, you'll get 28 to 30 percent voter turnout in the spring election. And it could also help save the city $600,000 per election year, um, right? Instead of having it in the spring, city doesn't handle it, then the county would handle it. And if it was a uh, school board year, mm -hmm. right? You've got school board elections going on, or if it was a, a gubernatorial president, presidential year. So thoughts on moving spring elections to the fall, number one, and your thoughts on raising city council pay. It doesn't really refer to you as mayor, but um, as the mayor candidate, but what are your thoughts on raising city council pay to a reasonable amount to be inclusive of others who don't have the ability to do this as their only job, like retirees? Well, that's a that's a two part big question, <laughs> it but is. but you it know is. number it's one a there's one. a there are a lot of uh, assumptions in there, um, yeah. but when you're looking at the uh, these moving the city election, I mean we have a charter for a reason. I mean people have the ability at any point in time uh, to put together a charter, uh, you know, put a question on the ballot, and make the case. And I think that's the proper way to do that. To file a lawsuit to be to try to make something like that happen, in my opinion is kind of presumptuous, and I don't think that the lawsuit would be actually successful. So I think it's important that if people want to actually do that, and you can argue that pro, pros and cons, and I'm indifferent. I run in both cycles. Uh, there, We have made it so easy for people to vote that I just don't accept the argument that the date of the election is the factor. It's voter indifference. When things really impact you, then you absolutely vote. But the fact that you get a ballot in your mail... Uh, and all you have to do, you don't even have to pay postage. And there's multiple boxes around here. So it's one of these things where I don't, I don't just basically say, yes, if we move it to November, people are going to vote more. 
I think that it's a responsibility for each and every individual that we live in a rep- you know, we live in a place where if you care about it, then you should get out and vote. So that's kind of my philosophical issue on that. But the bottom line is there's a process in place right now. Put it on the ballot. Make the case. Allow people to do that. So correct me if I'm wrong. When the charter was changed to the mayor strong, was that put on the ballot? Yes. That was passed by the voters yes. to say that was what you to have do. to be able to do that. So when and, the city has been talking about increasing voter turnout for municipal elections for over 10 to 15 yep. years, and we talk about it, but nothing happens. So you're saying take it to the voters. Uh, exactly. You know, when I heard that, I'm like, have you read the charter? Mm-hmm. Because it was basically because this is a pretty, my opinion, it's a slam dunk case for a court. The court's going to be like, what part of the charter don't you understand? If you want to change the day-to-day election, if you want to change council pay, put it to the voters. There is a mechanism in place within Colorado Springs. That's what I love about this. Just like marijuana. If you have an issue and you, and the elected officials are blocking you and because they won't do it on their own, there is a mechanism in place to go ahead and get enough signatures, put it on the ballot, make your case, and allow people to vote on it. You know what moms vote for? Anything that impacts kids. And, and, school board. And, and, <laughs> yes, yeah, school boards. Right. But, but But you, when you start thinking about public safety issues, I guarantee you that, you know, as, as a person that grew up in, in an area where my mom trusted me, like, be home before it gets dark, I guarantee you when you're looking at, especially in the southeast corridors with our homicide rates the way it is, I guarantee you there are going to be moms that are going to make, make sure that the person that's going to be running for mayor is going to actually do something about it. And I guarantee that mom's going to not going to care when that election is. So it's about voter indifference. If you care about it, you need to get off your butt and vote. Yes, sir. We appreciate that concept. Thank you. Can you answer the? the, You mentioned the council pay, but I don't think you really answered that. Well, like council pay, I can actually speak from from experience. I just wanted to clarify. Having been there, waking sixty-two fifty, which Mm -hmm. is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. At the at the very least, it should be minimum wage and at least indexed to that. But again, there is a mechanism, and it's been tried to where it has been placed on the ballot, and it has failed. Mm -hmm. The problem is you haven't really stated the reason why. As far as it, it just needs you need to do a better job convincing people of why and the value and the return on investment with that. But Mm -hmm. there is a mechanism in there. But I can absolutely tell you, when you start looking at the number of hours that you spend on city council and between being a a utility board member, the amount of information that you have to prepare for, Mm -hmm. for for a single mom to be, you cannot do it. You actually have to be married to somebody that has to be the ability to be able to provide for the primarily resources within the family or, you know, be retired. Mm-hmm. I've always objected to that. I've always supported that you should actually be compensated for the work you've done. But you would leave it to the voters to make that decision. That's, That's the mechanism. So, yeah. Yes, sir. Thank you very mm-hmm. much for that. All right. Uh, th- those are all the questions except for the uh, the wrapping things up. Yeah. So, Daryl, if you want to take just a couple of minutes to remind everybody why they should be voting for you. You know, I'm telling you, Colorado Springs is a special place. Uh, I remember, you know, my wife and I, we were talking about it, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, reminiscing about the 70s and 80s. And I'm a Doherty grad. And I remember when there was a drive-in movie theater right there across from Doherty. Uh, And those are days a lot of people don't understand. But when you actually get out and you talk to people, people are concerned. They're concerned that Colorado Springs has lost its luster, its 
something that was special because they believe that we're growing at a pace that's not sustainable. And then when you think about what's happening within our communities, people are scared. It is absolutely unacceptable with the level of crime in this community. And I want people to experience a childhood that I had where you were able to go out and like use the example where I was able to go outside my house, get on the bus, go to the Citadel Mall, hang out there all day. You can't do that anymore. (laughs) That is not safe. And I want to be able to create that environment to be able to make sure that people understand that we are going to protect this community. We're going to make sure that you feel safe in this community. And that's something that's near and dear to my heart. That's why I'm running. I'm running to make Colorado Springs the safest city in the nation. And when it doesn't matter when you start looking at, you know, what is the role of the mayor? In my opinion, the mayor needs to be the mayor for everyone, whether you're a single mom or a CEO. There are a lot of people that are in this race, and all you have to do is follow the money. And, you know, you can do that, but I fall right in the middle where it's like when you look at my donors, I've got donors from all over the place because my loyalty is to the citizens of Colorado Springs, not to anyone else. I serve God. And I believe that, you know, in my opinion, that God has placed a special anointing on Colorado Springs because, you know, whether you're a believer or not, there's something special about this place. And people will tell you, I don't know why I'm here, but something brought me here. That's what I want to preserve. I want to make sure that this is a great place for everyone, regardless of your affiliation. And lastly, as a person that's black, it might surprise you that I am so fortunate for the people that God placed in my path because he allowed me to be able to grow up around people that kept me on the right path and basically gave me the feeling that if I worked hard, I was able to be able to achieve the American dream. And I want to make sure each and everyone that grows up here understands how important that is. So believe that we can win. Believe that we can change things. Believe that we can make Colorado Springs the safest city in the nation. So go to DarylGlennForColorado.com. That's Glenn, the number four, Colorado.com. Let's win this. All right. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, you have been watching or listening to a joint podcast effort by 6035 Media and the League of Women Voters of the Pikes Peak Region. Be sure to follow Making Democracy Work and check out lwvppr.org for more information regarding our candidate forums in March. And keep checking in with 6035 Vote to make sure your vote is an informed one. This podcast is produced and edited by Dave Gardner. I'm Brian Grossman, Executive Editor. I'm Shelley Rohrs, Spokesperson for the League of Women Voters at the Pikes Peak Region. See you next time. Hi, I'm Dave Gardner. And I'm Nick Raven. We're the podcast producers here at 6035 Media. 6035 Vote is just one of a growing family of hyperlocal podcasts that we're creating. And these are for you, someone who wants to engage fully in your community. We've got the 6035, which is a quick, lively recap of the top news stories of the week. It's my favorite. It's really great and often funny. I love having you as a guest, actually. I do, too. And then we have Hot Takes and Stirring Breaks, which is a potpourri of news and commentary about movies, gaming, TV, streaming, and just so much more. It's for youthful heart, and, you know, that could be anyone, really. Yeah, I'm surprised I even really enjoy it because Nick hosts that, and uh, he's, he's witty. Well, and the cool thing is that you can watch both of these podcasts on YouTube. Or you can listen to them on the go in your favorite podcast app. And there's a couple more, uh, but you can also visit 6035media.org slash podcast to see them, browse them, sample them. 
And then subscribe to the ones that you like. And then subscribe to this YouTube channel. Yeah. And if you really love it all, like we do, uh, you, can we do. Just, you can just subscribe to the 6035 Podcast Network podcast, which is a conglomeration of all the episodes, all the brilliance and humor that emanates from the studio. Absolutely. And there's a lot of it. So like and subscribe today and go listen to them all or watch them. What he said. Good. Thanks. Got it? That wasn't so painful.